welcome to a special Wednesday afternoon generational change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. And sadly, sadly, why, why are we here this early? In the we're afternoon? here this after this afternoon because well, we're being stood up tonight by Jesse Ventura. However, he was apologetic and will be rescheduling. So it was. He was very nice about they were having maybe a family we had, situation. Maybe maybe I got to talk to the uh, Vanguard guys. Oh, don't get me started. About that. And then <laughs> we were fortunate enough to uh, have a last minute person who is willing to come on and talk to us, who can educate us about lots of things. Two last minute people. Two last minute people. Well, I'm still waiting to make sure uh, Mr. K shows up. But in the meantime, yes. our friend Steve Grumbine is here and is going to chat with us. And I have to ask him a very important question. Uh, very important questions. Very important questions. Let's see if we can. Uh, Accommodate. Well, I'm sure he can because that's what he's here for. Okay, so. I'm going to ask him while he's back there because he can hear me. So, Steve, you know him. You come on, and I want you to answer: How are we going to finance the deficit? Oh, we can't. Okay, we that's can't. it. It's bring over. him on. It's Just all over. No, no. I need to know how we're going to finance the deficit. Founder of the Real Progressives, host of the Macro and Cheese Podcast. You know him. You love him, Steve Grumbine. Welcome back to Generational <laughs> Change. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. How are you all doing? <laughs> Good. I was just yeah, watching you, know. you just like going off on the, the exchange <laughs> between Stephanie Kelton and whatever libertarian X about financing the deficit. And I just thought that was so freaking funny. <laughs> I think what I find the most interesting about the libertarian, because like I said, there are things like socially, you know, when it comes to foreign policy, there are things that I really do agree with libertarians on. But when it comes yeah. to macro and microeconomics, they really have this mindset of, well, if you can't figure it out, then I guess you just have to die. And, and it's like, I don't know like how that gets instilled in somebody's mind. I will say that one thing that never gets pointed out enough regarding Rand Paul is he is uh, he comes from immense privilege. Like it's not like he came into a situation where I totally made it myself and I just want the American people to do the same as I have. No, Ron Paul is your father. Like you, you come from <laughs> massive wealth. So I, I really, well, can we answer the question? How about how are we explain why me asking you how we're going to finance the deficit is really ridiculous. Like that. That's just, this is why, this is why we can't have nice things because people ask questions that are so stupid. <laughs> well, it really is stupid. And, and Stephanie, there's this great, um, it's a platform and we're actually modeling a debate uh, show that we're going to be doing in the future after it. And it's called pair P A I R a graph paragraph. And what they do is they pick two people in advance to kind of work out their debate, uh, you know, in writing. And um, they establish the kind of baseline for what is true and what is false and, and so forth. And it's pretty pretty nice setup because it's not trolling it's actually trying to address the actual issues that are raised and um in the video that you're talking about it, the reason why this stuff gets so problematic is because we have been led to believe that the big bad united states this this country that is so badass it can literally take its army around the world do whatever it wants to do but somehow or another Somehow or another, this mega military might falls prey to the old Jewish guy at the Federal Reserve. I mean, <laughs> somehow or another, they just can't defeat. the. And I, I'm like, guys, listen, if you just 
go ahead and bribe the 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 butler. You can go <laughs> ahead and spike the Rothschilds Earl Grey. You could easily put a bar of soap in the tub, and when he slips and falls, hey, end of the issues, right? That's the Rothschilds, right? This is the insanity that comes from it. But but worse, more more mainstream thinkers even start thinking that the United States somehow or another has to borrow money from banks to finance its spending because they don't realize that U.S. dollars are a law. They're a patent. It's a unit of measure that the country created and every country, you know, Japan created the Brit, you know, the British, uh, UK, uh, sterling, pound sterling. You've got uh, the Australian dollar on and on and on. Each of these countries did the same thing. They created their own unit of account. And you have a central bank that facilitates payments between other, you know, banks. That It's an interbanking system. Okay. And so when they say the United States has to finance its deficits, that means that you imagine Tiny Tim rushing up, oh, dear sir, oh, sir, please, sir, will you please allow us to borrow $20 trillion, $30 trillion? The bank goes, well, Sonny, you've been doing this for over 200 years, and you're up to $30 trillion and still haven't paid it back. Why would I lend you another penny? It's ridiculous. We don't borrow money. It's just an accounting identity that when we spend money, we put a reserve in in the liability section and the asset is the spent money to us and if you look at it from the government side it's like looking in a mirror you look at it it looks like it's debt to the government but you look at us it's our private savings so when they say finance deficits it's like you really don't get this do you you really are the slow kid that needs the extra remedial 099 training to get to even baseline and, and that's part of the problem with talking with libertarians it's part of the problem that stephanie kelton has it's not so much that they're stupid it's that they're starting from a fundamentally flawed point it's like building a house the foundation of your house in quicksand and wondering why it's tilted and, 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 and that, to me, is the fundamental message that drives me crazy that I'm trying desperately to get people to understand that this is not some inconsequential thing. This literally is the starting point before you even have the conversation. you got to have that base. And the base is the United States spends money into existence and it taxes money out of existence. It doesn't finance its deficits. It doesn't do any of that stuff. So it, that's it's really it absolutely the key. That's the key. The key more than anything else is that it taxes money out of existence. So everybody's like, oh, why are you printing all this money? It's like uh, because certain money gets taken out again. Uh, and I have a friend who's very libertarian and he has this idea of uh, the, the deficit is this and we're going to completely devalue the dollar. It's like, again, uh, blah, 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 inflation, blah, blah, blah. And inflation is a serious problem. But Steve, it, please tell the American yes, people, it's not why connected. do we have such an inflation problem right now? So there's a couple of things at play. And this is super important because as much as it would be nice to create a bumper sticker that says something like, thanks, Brandon, or something like that, which is highly effective, by the way, all these ads against Biden, they make it look like Biden did this. And I, you should know by now, I am not a Biden fan. So any defense of him is happenstance. OK, it's not intentional. OK, but the reality is, is that ultimately we have a couple things at play. We have the Saudi Arabia gang 
uh, with an automatic little thing that clicks up the price of gas. And they'll keep raising that price until the economy busts. They have no incentive not to, and they're going to do it. They're, let's say that that's one aspect of inflation. The other aspect of inflation is, is that because during the pandemic, we had a lot of people that weren't working, uh, not working in the kind of production fields that we needed. Supply chains around the world were broken completely. Um, and, and so trying to put gas, try, it's like an old tractor sitting in your yard and you're trying to get it to turn over and you got your son up there, your daughter up there. And you're like, give it the old crank there. You're like cleaning it out. It's like, blah, 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 blah. That's what happens when the economy goes and shut down like that. And we still haven't caught up. And in my other life, in my real professional life, you know, I work in it. And so talking with Cisco representatives and stuff, they're saying, hey, I know this sounds crazy, COVID's supposedly over. But the fact is, is that we have a year to wait to get those pieces of equipment. I'm like, a year? Because the semiconductors are still a shortage. There's still a shortage on semiconductors. So supply chains are another reason why there is inflation. But there's a third more nefarious reason. And this is probably the most nefarious reason. There was a great article in The Guardian a couple weeks back that showed that U.S. corporations in general that are passing on, quote unquote, the cost of inflation to consumers are sitting there with 333% profit over this period of time, a.k.a. Amazon, 900% the Steel Corporation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and groceries up 200% profits. This is not happenstance. What happens is, is that because we have pathetically, and I'm just going to be ruthless with this critique here, we have pathetically accepted the Milton Friedman School of Quantity Theory of Money. Okay, which has long been debunked. And the same thing, they're trying to do the Volcker method by jacking interest rates up to stave off inflation. All that will do is literally kill the economy. But the point is, going back to Milty, Uncle Milton, for a minute, his belief that the more money you put into the economy, the more inflation will come. Well, the reality is, is that what we have is a country, a government, that does not do its job in terms of audit, in terms of regulatory environment, et cetera. And you saw this with the great crash in 08 and 09, where we didn't have a quality SEC type of regulation over Wall Street. And we allowed them to do very, very criminal behavior with elite control fraud. And ultimately, what ends up happening? What ends up happening is you have a total collapse of the, the economy. What's happening now is that people, these businesses know that we believe that when the government spends money on the people, the inflation's coming. We believe it. We see it in our churches, our cartoons, our comic books, every sitcom, every series we binge watch has these references to this quantity theory of money. Reality is, is that they're literally saying, hey, we can mark prices up. There's literal boardrooms that are a public public document they're not even hiding it they're like hey the conditions are such that we can jack prices up and they are so a lot of this is a feckless incompetent regulatory environment a lot of this is also our own ignorance of what causes inflation part of it is the steady rising in gas prices uh, because let's just say we're consuming the same amount of gas we've always consumed However, we've taken one major player, although it was only three to six percent of our internal adoption, but take Russia out of the equation right now. 
And so what ends up happening? You got to get it from somewhere. The United States has no energy policy. We're a free market economy. So all the people in the United States that manufacture and sell gas are exporting it. They have no, there's nothing national. So you can't do that. You got to keep it here. So they're selling it. So that leaves us with a, a certain percentage of gas that has to be picked up somewhere. The only people that have the capacity to meet that additional demand left off by the Russians are the Saudis. And so what are they doing? They're saying, we got you. We got you by the short hairs. We're going to raise it up. This should be our rallying cry for a Green New Deal, for windmills, for freaking solar panels and for solar highways, you name it. But instead, we're just saying, you know, thanks, Brandon. And well, we're not missing the point of it all. So that's well, that's well, perfect timing, because what we should be advocating for is a 21st century Bill of Rights. And without further ado, he is a professor at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. Of course, you know him, you love him. He's a friend of the show. Harvey K. welcome back to Generation <laughs> I got to laugh for a moment. Not at you, by the way. Not, not at, I'm laughing at the circumstances I just walked into. Let me explain. First of all, I don't know if people, people want to hear this. Jen, you didn't tell me what, what I thought we were going to talk about. Something. Sorry, not even about that. I thought it was going to be a private conversation between you, between you and me. Because all I got, whoever sent me the note is, are you free this afternoon? <laughs> so, boy, are you free this afternoon? And I, and I remembered, if, I think it was a few weeks ago, maybe more than that, you said to me, let's talk about books and publishing. Am I wrong? Yeah. No. Right. So I thought we were going to have a private conversation. Number two, this is, I never wear in public a monogrammed shirt. Okay. <laughs> you can't say never anymore. No. My, my sit, this was a present that I, and, and it's a nice shirt. So I wear it when I'm around the house, I'm walking around the neighborhood. I, I don't go on, on, on TV with it. <laughs> then, sorry, then to add to it, by the way, if I had known, I could have wait the time I'm late, I could have used to change my shirt. But the funny next thing is I come onto the computer and it says, it's stream your things at StreamYard, and I could use. It said iOS. You can use such a. I go on to my university email account by way of uh, Outlook, and you know Safari, and it wouldn't let me do anything. <laughs> and I'm looking at my watch. And, oh my god! So then, sorry, I don't mean to waste time, but I'm laughing still. So oh, good. So then, wait, it's getting better. So then <laughs> I try to go into Chrome, and I find out that my mouse is out of power. Okay. So, and I, I have never done the sort of finger tracking thing very well. So, so then if I, I find out that because I changed my email password a few days ago, my account by way of Chrome will not accept my old password. And I tried it over and over again. I had to literally reboot my computer. And thus, I finally, after I don't know how many minutes, came here. And then when it started up, I thought, oh, I, I think we, oh, in fact, that's right. Along the way, I looked on Twitter and it said there was going to, I was on a show. Today. <laughs> that was it, right? And so I'm just, I, this is just too much today. So it's great to see you all. Okay. This was an unexpected show. We, we put this together. I mean, well, I mean, I, we try to throw things together last minute because we were supposed to have Jesse the Body Ventura this evening. But it didn't work out. Um, yeah. He had a personal matter come up, and we're going to look to push it to next week. But I figured this is probably as good a time as any. Because you really should tell people it's for the show. <laughs> well, wait, and that yes, that you that they're coming on to a show. Also, oh, we've I always done it. it. We've always done it in the evening together, 
And yeah. I, yes. yeah. that's true. What's this guy? I'm trying to beat the dinner rush. Get the 10% off. What can I say? So, that, as I said, so I, as I sent you in the private chat, I don't know shit about inflation. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> other than I'm, other than prices are higher and I got to not drive as far, maybe, as I would like to or something. And so, one of the things I forwarded to Peter today was there was a little clip that was going around of Katie Porter basically explaining the price gouging situation, which is what it is. This is price gouging. And it's interesting because here, like post hurricane, it's illegal to do that. You're not allowed to price gouge. There's rules about that. But yet somehow in the middle of a financial crisis, it's apparently okay to price gouge. So yeah, they are compensating for higher costs. That is true, but not to the extent that the prices are going up. Like it's so ridiculous. That's, I mean, the gist no, of the price. No, absolutely. And uh, although I think Steve's coverage of all those other possibilities is <laughs> taken very seriously. I mean, not, and but but in fact, what we're what we're witnessing is is literally criminal. I mean, this is crazy. I, one can understand a price rise right now in the course of what's going on, but the the gouging is the gouging that immediately. It's as if the oil companies, you know, they didn't even have to talk to each other. They just said, "Hey, this is a great time to just jack up prices, and blame blame the war in the Ukraine and and full speed ahead, right? Something like that." And then it's the question of the food supplies because Ukraine is a breadbasket in many ways. But seriously speaking, I mean, I I hate conspiracy theories. I really do. But I think but we're at the point. For us today. But you got but, one. Oh, you got one? No, no I'm you saying do. you got one. You got one for us today. No, I, I don't. But I think that what we fail to consider oftentimes is that people, because they're so long pursuing the same ends, certain kinds of profit, you know, profits, that it doesn't require any kind of conspiracy for everyone to just think alike. That's at right. That, you know, and take advantage of it. It's a, I mean, the they've gotten away with this for so long that, that uh, you know, when all of a sudden I'm my car doesn't guzzle gas badly. I'll confess. I drive. I drive a four-cylinder turbocharged Mustang. Period. I've said it. Okay, and but it's still the yeah. case that I've never seen. I don't think I've ever paid what I'm paying right now, or at least not in years since you know maybe the what was it the whenever the last time it just shot up like crazy, and um, and the airline prices are up. And if you live in Green Bay. You've got to basically. We don't have any of the deals that people in larger cities have. So you can fly from New York to L.A. cheaper than you could fly from Green Bay to New York. I mean, so it's, you feel it in every which way if you're here. So you basically stay home and you, you know, and you bellyache about about the situation. Sorry, I, now I'm calmed down. I hope. No, I think it's absolutely correct. And again, you know what we're what we're looking at right now is. Again, this this idea of austerity, this idea of, uh, you, you know, you need to fight to survive. And it's actually uh, it's actually Biden's fault. But the truth is, uh, as president of the United States and if Bernie was president right now, I think there would be serious talks about nationalizing oil. And that isn't even being discussed even marginally. But when you are corporate captured, you go where the corporate money is and the corporate money is with big oil. And if that means the consumer has to be screwed over royally, you know, and, and again, it's like dangling the cheese, Steve. It's, yeah. it's this idea that, well, if we were in power, it wouldn't be happening. But because, you know, Brandon's in power, that's the reason it's happening. And they have such an opportunity to push back against it and do something. And everyone's wondering why the hell don't they do it? Well, when you're engulfed with corporate special interests, you kind of are at their beck and call. And their beck and call is screw the consumer every which way possible. 
Yeah, look, you got to go. Yeah, you hold sorry, on real go quick. You got to go deeper on that one because Buddha Judge just the other day and talking about the formula shortage. Yeah, specifically went full like like he said never go full libertarian. Right, he went full libertarian and basically said, hey. You know, the government's not in the business of making formula. Why in the world will we do it? Free markets, baby. Right. I mean, literally, this is neoliberalism. This is what you get with the Democratic Party. And unfortunately, there is people in the Republican Party that think exactly the same because they're both neoliberal parties. It's it's too convenient just to call them capitalists. And it's too convenient to point to the lobbyists. They are fundamentally market fundamentalists they believe in markets elizabeth warren even said i'm, I'm a capitalist to my bones i love markets these people are to be avoided and and literally shunned well, with every disagree i'm going to disagree with you in one sense they don't Go believe in it. markets they do not believe in markets they believe in whatever will bring them profits and by the way uh -huh. they're more than willing to take subsidies nothing market-based about subsidies they're more than willing to have prices regulated when it works in their favor. Look, I mean, I mean, let's be clear, clear about this. They are not market. They're just not. But it's a great That's ideological weapon. I agree. You know, That's the you know, neoliberal I remember, perspective. I remember back in the, I don't even know, it was the, sometime in the 2000s, early on. Could have been the 90s for all I, I know. It was a discussion here in Wisconsin about whether or not to do some kind of statewide health care plan. And there was a debate between a, sort of one of the leaders of the Democrats in the assembly in the state house and one of the Republicans and the Democrat, you know, this is the Democrats problem. The Democrats actually took policy seriously. And this guy just laid out an incredible argument as to how we could handle an, a statewide health care plan and make sure everyone was covered. And it was just brilliant and definitely sleep inducing the Republican. It was incredible. The Republican when asked, what's your response to that, said, I think we need to let the magic of the market do its work. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> I mean, I remember to this day that, and then just the other day, this is uh, just the other day, I heard the same argument rendered. Plus, by the way, are, I, are you all in Florida? Where are you guys located? South Florida. I know you are. Are you, Steve, as well? No, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in purple Pennsylvania. Okay, well, and you have a state, you have a U.S. Senate race this year. Do you guys have a U.S. Senate? race this year we do but not not what, as not as competitive as this one is we, it's technically yes but in reality in yeah not it's so not much. okay well we do in this state and i thought up to six months ago that it would be easy to push ron johnson into retirement i really did and now we've got four candidates running i've endorsed one of them who's the, the most progressive policy wise but he's running fourth out of the four and um and I, I can tell you, every all you got to do is go onto the onto YouTube, turn on the television, and it's a repetitive ad. Ron Johnson is in Washington fighting, you know, Biden and the Democrats who are causing this inflation. In other words, <laughs> who are now, and then you know, in in one sense, well, they're not causing this inflation, but sure as hell, they're not fighting it very effective. They're not doing that much. But it's the case that you can just see the Democrats have yet have yet. Look, I'm in this moment these couple of weeks and remind me to talk about it. I'm in these I'm in this moment these couple of weeks where I go from utter deflation to a brief exhilaration. And my utter deflation is always in response to what I see the party that I vote for do. The Democratic Party is driving me crazy. They are not to be trusted as a party. Their leadership has to be driven out as quickly as that's possible. OK, and hopefully 
And hopefully Bernie runs again in 2024. How's that? There you go. Um, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm glad you made that, that, that correction there, because one of the things that, I, you know, it's, it's like they want the government, which is why neoliberalism is what it is, right? I mean, we got the World Bank, WTO, IMF, all extensions of this neoliberal mindset where they, quote unquote, want free markets for the little people, but they want government control to clear those markets and to maintain those markets and maintain their private property um, at, at a very, very high jackbooted level. And, and to me, that right there is is the Buddha judge plan. It's the Biden plan. Biden is, I mean, if you watch uh, together of Biden for the last 50 years, I swear to God, you'd think, man, let me vote for Reagan so I can get that right winger out of office. I mean, that's how bad Biden is. His, he's the, the maybe the worst Democrat that I have ever seen in my life. And so it's easy. No, no, wait a second. Republic- how, how old? You're not, you're not that young. Hold I'm on a 53. second. I'm, I'm 53. I'm going to give you, I, I'm, because I want to make something clear. I dropped my voice. Go for it. The worst Democrat in our lives was Jimmy Carter. Okay. You, yeah. You know I, what? No, wait, I, don't I, even, look, because I now have to hear here. why. I'm going to have I, to hear why, because that's my least offensive president. I might be able to jump in there uh, because, with you. Go for then it. you're too young to know. Okay. I am not. I know we've been through this before. You are. Okay. <laughs> Look, Pete, Peter before said very effectively one word, and that word was austerity. Who do you think was the president who pushed, and not the idea, the word austerity in speeches in 1978 Jimmy as he Carter. put on his whatever Jimmy it was, Carter. cardigan sweater, blah, 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 blah. It was Jimmy well, Carter. You goddamn and right. And then he brought Volcker in to the Federal Reserve, knowing that Volcker would, well, first, let's be clear. Carter turned his back on the labor movement in 78, the environmental movement in 78, and the consumer movement that of, Na- of Ralph Nader. Literally turned his back, okay? There was legislation pending. He did nothing, zilch, okay, to, about it. Two, he and his family hated FDR, okay? They were not going to go any kind of FDR route. That was pretty clear. Third, capital targeted him. This is the age of the uh, business roundtable. CEOs flew into D.C., lobbied Congress, and pressured Carter. He didn't have to be pressured that much, Carter. And he opted to, he would said, I'm going to pull all my political capital into giving Panama Canal back to Panama. If you like that idea, that's great. But frankly, not when you screw labor and everyone else at the same time. Doug Frazier, who was the head of the UAW at the time and, and was on something called the DuPont Commission, which was the Industrial Relations Commission of Capital and Labor, who was you know, supposed to talk about the state of America in those terms. He resigned from the commission and issued a public letter saying, I cannot serve on a commission with people who have declared, declared open class war on us. Okay. This was Jimmy Carter. And then I'm leaving out something else. Well, I mean, I could go on. He brings in Volcker. With, they knew what they were going to do. They were going yeah. to literally right. screw the working class, period. Okay. And, and they did it. And that's why in 1980, Reagan could never, ever have won if it had not been that Carter was more Reagan at the outset, probably than Reagan had ever hoped to be. Harvey, how much different do you think 1980 would have been if Ted Kennedy was the nominee? Well, probably. Okay, Ted Kennedy was more conservative than at that at that phase than a lot of people realize. Though healthcare was high on his agenda, 
but but the the key thing is I, I think you've asked a good question and I do think that if Carter had if Kennedy had beaten Carter I think they would have gone after Kennedy on moral grounds period yes but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that he couldn't have beaten Reagan look people always said well who voted for Reagan look you know the older folks voted for Reagan well actually it's not the case millions of people just stayed home in 1980. I mean, if, if you're a union member, you're, you're a worker and you see what the Democrats have done, right, then you're either going to be so angry you're going to vote for Reagan or more likely you're going to stay home. And I want to give a figure and I could be wrong on this. My, I, I read somewhere it was like 10 million working people stayed home in that year. I, I Don't quote me on that. It's just a Steve, you had something you wanted to add about that, about. Carter. Well, yeah, I know. I just want to tip my hat to him because I, I despise Joe Biden and I'm living through the Biden experience now. So it's a little bit more like the hot stove. I know, but you're exactly right though. I mean, all the history there, Volcker is Carter, all of that stuff, that whole experience is all Jimmy Carter. He's a much better ex president than a president. I'll leave it at that. He builds some good homes. We'll leave it at that. I mean, seriously, I mean, you can't knock his post, but he was a horrible president. And, uh, it's just hard to remember that because Reagan did so much damage. And, and you see Democrats, the history of neoliberalism always starts with Ronald Reagan. They never give credit to Jimmy Carter. And Jimmy yeah, Carter who started really the deregulation of, of finance. Who started Absolutely. it? Who started Jimmy. the deregulation of transportation? Jimmy. I mean, no, you, you're, I, I stand corrected, man. You are spot on. Thank you. Spot on. No, that's made my you day. You never met. You guys have met before, yes? Nope, never. But no, I'm going to talk to him in the future for sure. I love this guy. All right. Yeah. So, okay. So we probably should. See, we brought another group, of, another good group. Of yeah, I, I was going to ask in the first place if you guys have ever met. So, Harvey, you don't yeah. know Steve. Steve goes on. Well, Steve with looks Carmen. familiar to me. I must have seen him on one of the shows. He has a few. He has a few things, and he's been on ours, but he has a few of his own things. And um, and he's also uh, does stuff with uh, Jordan Charlton's yeah, uh, status quo. Right. Oh, uh, okay. Well, that could easily be one of the. And and what Elizabeth brought up is very true. There were a lot of college students voting for Reagan. In many ways, uh, the the whole Trump phenomenon in sixteen is very parallel to what happened with Reagan winning in eighty. Uh, this whole idea, as you just pointed out, Harvey, which I was not actually very well aware of. Um, I knew about Reagan, uh, uh, Democrats for Reagan. I know that that was a big thing. But this whole idea of a lot of the labor unions and, and I think that. Uh, oh, by the way, the Democrats for Re Reagan later became Jews for Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's well, and they, and they make about as much sense, except for now Democrats for Reagan does make sense. Now, by the way, I have not now. been drinking. This is I'm just I'm so caught off guard and I didn't prepare since I didn't know. I thought I was going to talk about something else. I'm just. Stream of consciousness right now. No, let, let, me, let me throw a stream of consciousness thing out yeah. there that I know Jen will enjoy real quick, and you might as well. I just found out that in the state of Pennsylvania, the actual medical marijuana law does not allow you to put flame to flower. It must be vaporized. In what world does that? It literally is illegal. You, you got medical marijuana, but if you're caught smoking it in a bowl or in a bong, it's illegal. It's fine if you vaporize it, but otherwise it's illegal. You could, I, I kid you not. And, and from what I understand, when you go to your dispensary in Pennsylvania, you still can get a DWI if your bag, even sealed and then whatever, is within arm's distance of you. It must be beyond arm's distance or you will get a DWI. Anyway, I'm sorry, just an absurd. That's funny when you say all that because Wisconsin, there's, there's no there's just no legal grass. 
But it's so funny. <laughs> as, I mean, we live close enough to Michigan. There's billboards, you know, closer always, than you think. You know what? Everywhere I live in my life, there's legal grass. It might not be legal for all, but it's legal for where it needs to be legal. For one. You know what I mean? <laughs> for, for, for me. And I will say the idea that you can't light flowers. Well, you are law unto yourself. I like that. I, I am a, I am an island unto myself. An uh, no, I just, I just, oh, that's privilege. That's privilege. Oh, well, and sorry. Yeah, right. It, it's, it's, it is what it is. Like that I feel like I've always been comfortable doing that, even though it's not legal. It's, it's privilege. It's disgusting, but it is true. Um, but like there very well could be a law like that. Like that makes sense. And I'll tell you why. Like I'm sitting here thinking, why would they care if you light flower versus if you vape? Like why would they care? It's more money if you vape. Because if you vape, if you vape, a lot of people, instead of grinding, what they'll do is they'll just buy the cartridges, which are inherently more product, more produced, more money. And also the vaping apparatus, you have to spend money to vape. Like if you just have flour, all you need is rolling papers, right? Like it, it's not as it's not as profitable of an industry. That's that true. would be my guess, because it sure as hell is not that they're concerned about your health. Because by <laughs> the way, actually vaping is considered worse health wise. Um, in terms of marijuana than just smoking it. So it's oh, weird. Wow. I, I, I'm just saying, so they don't care about your health. No, okay. and again, what they care about is profit. Uh, ultimately, we have a for-profit prison industrial complex, and that's why you punish people for smoking cannabis, which gets you away from prescription drugs, which is how Big Pharma makes their killing. Uh, the Sackler family, again, I haven't seen Dope Sick. It's oh, something it's so that I good. Have, have you guys seen Dope Sick? No. no, but I'm going to. It sounds like a winner. No, I don't know if I can handle anything more depressing than the state of affairs right now. Okay. Well, well, it's, it's just, well, it is, it's a sad story, but it's about how the opioid industry purpose, purposely yeah. targeted poor mining towns to right. create addiction. By the way, if you notice, the opioid crisis seems to be over. Have you noticed? Yes. It's yeah. Yeah, just, like, just like COVID's over. I mean, come on, everything's <laughs> yeah, right. back to normal. Joe got in there and saved the day and now we're all back to normal <laughs> yeah. again. By the way, as long I'll go back and quote another thing of Pete, as long as we're here. Okay. <laughs> Um, you mentioned the Economic Bill of Rights stuff, okay? And can I, I just want to know, you to know that something really big happened on Saturday. I think I sent a note. I think I sent you a note, Jen, or I sent it to you or to one of your assistants who may have. Well, it's him and me, but he checks the email more. Maybe, That's the okay, I, right. When I see generational change, I assume it's, it's you, and I I forget you've got an intern. We both. So, uh, not <laughs> I'm just. <laughs> Better than you saying he's my son. We, we've been confused for that before. You no, I think I, when I first met you, I thought you were a couple. That's a little bit. I mean, that's at least not offensive to me. You know what I mean? It's incorrect, but it's not. Yeah, offensive. He should be so lucky. I know. Anyhow. So, but, but here's more important. So Saturday, the Democratic Party of Massachusetts was in convention over the weekend. And there, somebody actually took Alan Minsky's and my economic bill of rights and reduced it to a one page thing. He, he literally the democratic party of Massachusetts has endorsed and embraced the economic bill of rights. That's a, I know that it's small in grand historic terms, but no, it, it's good. If, if that can then become if like the beginning of something, I don't even care right now if get, it's not going to get legislated right away anywhere necessarily, but if they, state parties would start embracing this, then it would be the kind of thing that literally in the next couple of years, if we haven't lost democracy altogether, then the progressives might in Congress might actually wake up and embrace it as well. 
Well, our I want to hear about your economic Republican. That's I, I want to hear about this Bill of Rights because when you brought me on and told me that I was going to be joined with this gentleman here and you told me about this 21st century Bill of Rights. Well, you haven't seen it. Okay. I have not seen it and I want you to hear like about it. it for sure. I'm you sure I will. It. That's what I want to hear about so I can get behind okay. it. Well, Steve, if I could just tell you, if when you get a chance afterwards, if you type in, uh, well, go to go on, go to YouTube and type in Gravel Harvey K. So I, I did a video with the Gravel Institute people, uh, actually about a year ago, and it got posted this past January. And it's a, uh, it's basically titled "The Most Radical Speech in Presidential History." It's about Franklin Roosevelt's 1944 State of the Union message, in which he, in, in addition to talking about the war effort and other things, he spoke specifically at the end about the fact that we've come to the point in our history where we realize that, as he put it, necessitous men are not free men. We would say necessitous people, needy people are not free people. And he said, and it's time to, in essence, go back to the social contract. The time has come in the spirit of the founders to create a second Bill of Rights, an economic Bill of Rights. And he lays out a 1944 version of that. So when I did my book on the fight for the four freedoms, what made FDR and the greatest generation truly great, this is all part of the arc of the, uh, of if you like, the age of Roosevelt. But the other thing is, which people don't realize, and forgive me, Pete and Jen, you've heard this whole thing before, but it is the case that although he gave the speech, there was little chance at that moment it could ever come to be constitutionally because of the fact that you had Republicans and Southern white supremacist Democrats who were essentially aligned over certain kinds of questions. And the Republicans didn't want anything that would literally empower working people like an economic bill of rights. And the Southern Democrats would have loved the idea of an economic bill of rights if there were no African-Americans. In other mm. words, they did not want blacks to have those kind of rights, most especially, and this is what really, this was the reason Truman could not get national health care passed is they didn't want to desegregate hospitals in the South. Okay. So but that didn't mean it was forgotten. And in 1960, and this is something very, very, I don't even think Democrats at the leadership or in Congress or anywhere else know this, but in 1960, the Democratic Party platform, which was authored, well, I mean, it was based on a national set of meetings, but it was authored by Chester Bowles, who had been the head of the Office of Price Administration in the Roosevelt administration during the war years. And he wrote the Democratic platform along the lines very blatantly, you know, in the, the Economic Bill of Rights FDR laid out, he lays out and then expresses the policy um, uh, initiatives that would be required for the Democrats um, to pursue. So the 1960 Democratic Party platform is, an, if you like, an enhancement of that Economic Bill of Rights. But Kennedy was no great progressive or liberal. Um, between them, Johnson ends up becoming far more progressive, war on Vietnam aside, which he inherited from Kennedy and extended. But in 1965, A. Philip Randolph, the great black and, and black labor and civil rights leader, issued a freedom budget. And since we've got video, I just want to point out to everyone, okay, freedom budget for all Americans, okay? Budgeting our resources, 1966 to 75, to achieve freedom from want. And this is laid out along the lines of FDR's Four Freedoms and Economic Bill of Rights. And 150, 150 university presidents 
labor leaders, civil rights leaders, foundation heads endorsed it. And I could tell you that um, it was not out of the question that the Rose, the, sorry, that the Johnson administration would have rejected it. However, and I say that because in that same year, they actually held a symposium at the White House to honor A. Philip Randolph. And you could have imagined this kind of thing coming together. But of course, Johnson's first priority became the war in Vietnam. And not only did the Great Society initiatives lose, lose you know, dollars and possibilities, but obviously the freedom budget just got pushed aside. In 1968, Martin Luther King Jr., not long before he was assassinated, called for a 21st century version of FDR's Economic Bill of Rights. Bernie Sanders, both in six, in 16, well, 15 and 19, called for a, a remem to remember those Economic Bill of Rights. And then it actually in 2019-20, he laid out on his website the Economic Bill of Rights that he saw necessary for the 21st century. But of course, the Democrats would not have, you know, they weren't going to let him win the presidency. Though I will also tell you, Bernie Sanders never took the Economic Bill of Rights or FDR with him onto the debate stage, which I think was his, his greatest sin in, in, in the debates. Anyhow, so I did, I've been talking about this Economic Bill of Rights for several years, and I did this video with, uh, with the Gravel people. And Alan Minsky, who's the head of Progressive Democrats of America, who, I, whom I've become friendly with, said, you know, maybe we should put together a 21st century Economic Bill of Rights and, and launch it. And in fact, he had the idea of taking it right to the Progressive Democrats with the idea that any candidate they would endorse should at least embrace what we've laid out. So I'll just... I'm hogging the, 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 the mic here. Can I just read this quickly or do you want to put one up or what do you want to do? Go with it? Okay, so yeah. this is a 21st century economic bill of rights. One, the right to a job that pays a living wage, which was, by the way, part of FDRs. Two, the right to a voice in the workplace through a union and collect, <clears throat> excuse me, and collective bargaining, which was not actually in FDRs because he thought he had already solved that problem with the National Labor Relations Act and it didn't foresee what would transpire with the Taft-Hartley Act the Republicans pushed through in 47. He died in 45. Third, the right to, a compre to comprehensive quality health care, which Roosevelt himself wanted in the Social Security Act of 1935, but could not get it included, but then did include it in the Economic Bill of Rights he called for. Four, the right to a complete cost-free public education and broadband internet. Five, the right to decent, safe, affordable housing. Six, the right to a clean environment and a secure planet. Seven, the right to a meaningful endowment of resources at birth and a secure retirement. And by the way, that one, number seven, actually comes, comes basically is associated with Thomas Paine in the 1790s when he wrote Agrarian Justice which was really the, the first ever call for a social security plan. And when he called for it, for people who would, he said people beyond a certain age should not have to work. He also said, we should, we should prevent poverty by giving young people grants of money to do what they feel like, what they could pursue in order not to fall into poverty, whether it was you know education, a small business, uh, buy land, whatever. Um, number eight, the right to sound banking and financial services. Nine, the right to an equitable and economically fair justice. Did I skip six, the right to a clean environment and no. secure planet? I did, did I did say it. I did say yeah. it. Okay. 
And finally, number 10, the right to recreation and participation in public life, which, by the way, was very much a part of FDRs. In fact, the, the commission that was working through the 30s into the 40s, well, especially in the 30s, that helped FDR develop those ideas, which was a, a really, really important commission that no one has heard of called the National Resources Planning Board. They actually called for the right to recreation and adventure. Okay, and adventure. Yeah. In fact, I do recall that, not to go back to the subject of grass, but I do recall the last time that I was on talking about this, we talked about recreation and you folks immediately went to recreational marijuana, but we don't want to go back there. I just love that you call it grass. So Steve, well, what that, are that's thoughts? a sign of my age, isn't it? I, well, that's why I love it. It's just so telling. Steve, what are your thoughts on the 21st century Bill of Rights? I absolutely love it. And, and you know, I don't know if you've ever spoken to him or not, Harvey, but there's a gentleman named Derek Hamilton. Yeah, and, now, uh, Derek Hamilton, yes. And I'll just say that Derek Hamilton it, ha, has favored for a long time the reparations question, okay? But when he got together with an, a, a friend of mine, Mark Pohl, a young economist who was teaching until recently at New College in Sarasota, will be at Rutgers next year. They got together, there were three of them, and they proposed a 21st Century Economic Bill of Rights, which we drew upon. And I will tell you that the, the question for him for the 21st century economic bill of rights had to do with this material endowment question, which is why I reached back to Thomas Paine. Should anyone ask, well, aren't you then proposing reparations? No, I'm proposing the, the 18th century call for a material endowment for all kids, which by the way, will reduce every one of these things will have a greater impact on reducing the wealth structure than would specifically a probably unwieldy and maybe politically troubling reparations program. Yeah, the, uh, he has, it's called baby bonds. Yes, that that's it. Out there. Right. Baby bonds. Right. The baby bonds right. were, I, so I was thinking, I mean, you got to find your, your allies here as you try to advance. Yeah, no, in, in fact, yes. We, yeah. We've, I, I personally have not been in touch with him though. We follow each other on Twitter as I recall. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm, I love this. I, I mean, I absolutely, I mean, it gives you a very concrete view of value, what you value. Okay. What well, then we let value me also, as a society. You'll enjoy knowing in Wisconsin where Scott Walker literally transformed the political landscape. We still, we are still suffering badly under Republican legislature and we fear the possibility of a return of a Republican to the governorship, but a couple of democratic young women, young to me at least, Freshman assembly women introduced, it couldn't even get onto the floor really because of the Republicans, the idea of a Wisconsin Economic Justice Bill of Rights, which is essentially similar to what I just laid out. And one happens to be a good friend of mine and assemblywoman from my district. Similarly, as I just said, the Democrats in Massachusetts have embraced it. And apparently it was a 97% vote in favor for what it's worth. Similarly, I've been in touch with a woman in the assembly in New Hampshire who is eager to try to create an economic justice caucus to take this up. So I, I really do think that if we can get through these, if we could survive November 2022, then we could get some a major national conversation going on this. But I can also tell you that I have little confidence. I mean this sincerely. I have very little confidence in the progressive caucus right now, the way it's dead up. You, I, 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 is that a I, I, joke? I, I, Did you ask me why? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me let me let, let me tell you. Let me let me use two words to tell you. Okay, Nina Turner. 
Well, yeah. That cut her off. And uh, what I think is probably more interesting, and I definitely want to hear from both of you guys, we saw what happened yesterday with a lot of the primary elections. Um, I think there were a couple of really solid victories, but not necessarily the ones that everyone is paying attention to. For example, a good friend of ours, uh, Kim Graham, who is now almost, uh, well, I want to say assuredly, there's no guarantees, but is very likely going to be the um, is very likely going to be the Polk County uh, state Woo! attorney in uh, Iowa. Hmm. That's a big deal. Yeah. Those are yeah. important positions. People don't realize they're so fixated on the national. But I'm telling you, your your state attorney is one of the most important people in the world, like to, to a lot of people. That is huge. Especially in Des Moines. I mean, have a the progressive heart of everything, sitting in there. Yeah, if you're going to, if if the progressives, whether it is Bernie or potentially somebody else, obviously the list is very, very short for 24. But if that were to be possible, having somebody that is a true progressive and non-corporate that is representing the most populous part of Iowa, that's a big deal. And you need the people at the local level in the positions that not everybody's focusing on. Like everybody's looking at California right now and the progressives that ran for Congress, they did not do well yesterday. I think uh, David Kim has a puncher's chance against Jimmy Gomez in LA. Obviously, it looks like Mr. Caruso is going to buy his way into the mayoral seat in Los Angeles. Yeah, that seems to be it really. It, I mean, it just. Yeah. yeah. But the one victory that I think could be really big is Ken Mejia, who I've known since, you know, he was down here volunteering during the Tim Canova, Debbie Wasserman Schultz race back in 2016. You know, he ran with the Green Party multiple times and now he is poised to become the next comptroller of Los Angeles. That is a big deal. And those are the races that are not getting talked about. Everyone's focusing on the fact that the congressional races are not being won. And the reality is a lot of these down ballot races, these state races, they are never challenged and they don't cost a fraction of what it costs to run for president. I think in the progressive movement, especially the non-corporate movement, people need to get out of their head that everyone is going to be the next AOC or the next Cori Bush. It literally is like winning the lottery. Whereas there are other seats that are of immense importance that if you were to win would have a tremendous impact on what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. You know, yeah, I look, I mean, too many people rightly celebrate, well, I mean, rightly celebrate AOC and Cori Bush but those are seats that could be won, strangely enough. But once AOC won, then all the bets later are off because they learned their lesson, the corporate Democrats, on, on, on that kind of seat. They just cannot take anything for granted. And, they, you know, they're going to pour money into lots of places. Now, so I'm with you. I'm with you on that. And the other thing I, I would say is that, well, I've talked about I've talked about this before. It's striking to me that the Democratic Party, this is the obvious I'm going to state, the Democratic Party seems more concerned about fighting its own left than fighting the Republicans in, in every way, constantly. And, and honestly, I, I'm, not, I would, I'm not jumping to any third party. I will not waste my time on that. But really is the case that these seats this year that were like Cisneros, they haven't done the recounts yet, correct? I mean, it's not completely out of the question, but as I always say to people, it is Texas after all. I'd be careful what people think might happen there. Um, it, it really is the case that 
young people, Jesus, I mean, young people are going to have to really start turning out in big numbers if they really want to see progressive change in this country, because we know how we know that on polling, people want the kinds of things in this economic bill of rights. There isn't a thing on that list that doesn't garner majority support when people are asked, but they, but people are so convinced that they don't deserve anything or they will never get anything or whatever it might be. And, and then when the Democrats win and, and they don't get anything, they're convinced of it. Right. I mean, right now, right now, can you, it is inconceivable to me that Biden last year didn't sign off on a, on student debt relief. <laughs> Come on, man. It, it's just, it's absolutely inconceivable to me. Steve, because Steve, Steve hop, Steve yeah, hop no, in there, baby. Say something. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah. I really do. And, and, and the first thing is, is that everything that we're saying here is exactly why I live and breathe modern monetary theory, why I'm hyping Stephanie Kelton, why I'm lifting to the heavens this economic model so that we can make these things happen. Because if you think that everything's scarce, then you're naturally going to believe you don't deserve it. And and this whole Calvinistic bullshit that has been pushed on us for since the dawning of the colonial period of this country, um, you know, we're, we're fucked there. But I want to say this is the most important thing that I'm gathering from this entire call. And I'm really excited right now. And that doesn't happen very much anymore. Um, I, I feel like somebody slipped a, a purple pill into my drink here, you know, and all of a sudden I'm standing at attention. But the, the truth of the matter is, is that this is exactly what we need for a new Occupy Wall Street, an OWS style. Uh, this is the manifesto, your 21st century bill. This is it, man. I've been begging. I talked to Jordan about this. I talked to everybody on my own rogue scholar. I talk about it in macro and cheese. I talk about everywhere I go. It's not, I, I don't believe we have time or I, I really don't have the heart for a third party. You're exactly correct on that. But that doesn't stop us from being activists united beyond the party spectrum where they don't have control of our minds. And we can say, ah, to hell with that. This is exactly what we stand for. We know it's possible. You're going to do this or you're going to suffer the wrath of 349 million. The other million, I'm sure, probably bootlickers that will defend them. But the other 349 million, hopefully we can get people out there for real rallying and, and making this happen. It is literally I don't want to see another situation where you go out to all these protests. You take the selfie, you get the T-shirt, you get the action figure, you go home, wax poetic about it for a month and you're off to the races. I really want to see a continued, sustained, non-electoral ebbs and flows, a consistent just F you, we're doing this. You're going to change this country, damn it. And if you don't, you're going to get used to seeing us in your front yard, your backyard, at church, at your kids, wherever. I don't care. You will not be able to hide from us. And that I, to I me have one footnote it. to what I said is I would like whenever that executive order is issued that the Democrats do one little thing for me. Yeah. Outlaw for profit higher education. Yes. And medical. I mean, I just I always say exactly. <clears throat> wait, he was just talking about something that I always say that what what is the about the protesting and the. Fact oh, yeah. That, I don't think those people should get a moment's peace. I think that if you're a public figure that's supposed to be representing the majority of people in some sort of democratic state, that when you're going against the majority, you should hear that everywhere you go yes. once you walk out of your house. I don't that's think right. you should. And, and I nonviolently, 
But like, if somebody wants to follow Kirsten Cinema in the bathroom, that's her problem. I have yep. nothing wrong with that. You want to go against the majority of people. I don't care if you're on the Supreme Court. I don't care where you are. You're going to hear about it. That's the beauty of it. And it, it goes without saying, you know, everyone is going to make a big stinking deal about the fact that, listen, Chevy Chase is one of the most expensive suburbs in the whole country. That is where uh, Justice Kavanaugh lives. And a guy apparently oh. was planning a murder suicide and got caught by, I guess, the FBI. And you really think it's just one guy? Do you not understand, like, you could cut the tension with a knife right now, and how you know desperate people are, and that this That's is only going to get worse? They really think that we could just, they really think this, Steve. It's like, we can just arrest everybody. We're just going to arrest everybody. Yeah, you're going to pick off one, but when it's a dozen, when it's 50, when it's 50,000, you're not going to be able to stop it. And it's going to inspire more and more people to get off their ass. You don't want people to have a living wage. You don't want people to have Medicare for all. You don't want people to have a clean energy grid so they don't have to drink contaminated and freaking water. Them, and you want you them uneducated. You want yep. them uneducated. You don't <laughs> want universal education. And you give them guns. And, yeah. and if you want to talk about the... When you, when you talk about what is made in the United States, we make weapons here. So when everyone's talking about we got to stop making the AR-15 and letting people get their hands on it, uh, what do you think they're making right now to send That's to Ukraine? That's what we like, do. Th this is our economy. This is We made the Clintons in particular, made a conscious choice to sell out to third world countries. Third so way. Slave wage. So we don't have a union movement. We've got one brewing right now. I, I, I would tell you this, Harvey. If Bernie had been running for president right now, after what Chris Smalls pulled off and uh, with Amazon in the yeah. heat of a presidential election, he probably would be the president right now because there would be that galvanized feeling of, of of labor for the first time since probably the days of Kennedy and Johnson. Timing where, is everything. Yeah, timing really is everything. It really is. Yeah, oh, no, I, 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 yeah, right. I, definitely timing is everything. Absolutely. And so I, just a quick call. I want nope. day, I, I want to have Harvey on Macro and Cheese, which is our podcast. I it would be my honor. I'm doing it publicly because I don't have a vine offline, but I really desperate. I really want to talk to you about this. This is really exciting to me. See what we macro did and cheese. I didn't that sounds great. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> fun. I've been on there. Food for thought, right? Yeah, it sounds like I think I was probably your least educated guest, Steve. I think I was probably your least educated guest. I, I do st spend a lot of time in academia on the show yeah. for sure, but um, I bring the activist element. That's how we keep it real. You got to do me a favor. You got to do me a favor. Sure. Okay. I'm going to, you got to buy a book. Which uh -oh. one is it? Okay. Because I, I read incessantly. I, I honestly, I think the one I'll give you a choice. Okay. There's Which one? I've read one of these. Okay. I think the book that you should read is this one. You got it. I, I'll, I'll add it right now. Okay. And it's, in paperback and it's available pretty low price. Okay. Or if you're, if you want to speed read. That's what I read. Cause I'm very, that's a thing. You, really, I'll, I, get, I, I'll do both. How about both? That, that's, How about this, both? This, that's great. This these are speeches very, and essays. Yeah. These, are, these you can read on the toilet, man. Right. <laughs> I do a lot of toilet reading too. Trust me. I do a lot of toilet reads. I, and I do a lot of toilet podcast listening too, that's by the way. Guy, that's a guy. <laughs> no, I used to shock my students early in a semester. Why do you think that's a guy thing? Girls oh, you poop? Girl, it is a well, guy thing. Trust me. Girls guy, do it too. I spend much more time on the toilet. You might spend more time there. Girls poop and people, and I know this. This is shocking, but women, we also read. 
So we read and we poo. I'm See, just saying. And, and, well, and ironically, for the guys out there, it actually stinks too, by the way. It's not just men that stink. Women, women come so with odors too. it's not like that poopery uh, uh, stuff that they put on. That's uh, right, man. I used, to tell, I used to tell my students, they all had to get my, in the first year, I didn't even care what the course was. They had to get world maps. And I said, I said that you have to put it up where, wherever you sit on the toilet, put it on the wall opposite if you can. I said, and if you guys are going to tell me you can't do that because it's facing the shower or some of that, then you put it over the toilet. So every time you're standing there, you, it'll imprint what? What? on your brain. What? That's awesome. I like, I like that background. Do you do that yourself? Do you just flip a switch and do that? I need to set it up so that I, because like you were talking about booty judge. Yeah, well, this is real, but I was, the, oh, when nice, you were talking good. about booty judge. I had a really good graphic that I did for him the other day that I, I put his face, I superimposed it over Marie Antoinette and it said, <laughs> let them drink water. And it was all these little babies uh, everywhere. Yeah. Because yeah. he's you, just- you, all, you, you all know, of course, talking about irony in politics, you know, his father was a, a scholar of the Marxist political theorist, Marx of the communist, yes. Antonio Gramsci. Yeah. And, and I always think to myself, and I, I didn't know his father personally, but we were part of the same network back in the 80s and into the early 90s. And I could not believe this was the son of, you know. And, you know, God, I mean, look, the Dem- if the Democrats really want to lose, they'll either run Harris or Buttigieg. But, you know. No, they do want to lose. They want oh, they definitely because lose. they know that it's a, only it's a matter of not if but when somebody that is on the true non-corporate progressive side of things is going to be able to break through, whether it is not likely in 24, because yeah. everything right now is pointing towards DeSantis. But if there is going to be that opportunity, let's say in 28, yes. if we're building the foundation like we're trying to do here in Florida. Local. Yeah. It's it's necessary to start building that foundation because, like you said, Harvey, the Democrats would rather lose to a Republican than win with a non-corporate progressive because it goes against the funding infrastructure of their own party. Yeah, I I mean, I was convinced. Right. I was convinced in 2020. I mean, I know there were other reasons, too. I was convinced in 2020 that they left. um, Oh, what's his name? Who's the billionaire who they had on the the quick? The uh, uh, Bloomberg. Bloomberg. They had Bloomberg there as we got a, a beautiful story. For, we got a beautiful story for him uh, when you when you finish. Okay, all I want to say is that he was there as a threat. That if that if Bernie wins, we're going to create the third party. Right, right. Yeah, you go on there, little man. And instead, what he did is he came into Florida and bought our state party. Oh, right. Yeah, and yeah. and then he placed a Republican at the head of our Florida Democratic Party. And would you like to guess who he partnered with behind the scenes to make sure that Manny Diaz became How the state party chair? Who do you think was the person in the Democratic Party in Florida that made that happen? Why don't you guys take a guess? I, I don't know. Debbie Wasserman. 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 Oh, she's <laughs> staring me in the face. Debbie Wasserman Schultz. That's right. I call her Debbie What's-Her-Name Schultz, but there you go. We he does Bernie. Is it when you're in Bernie and you're like, what's her face? What are you? <laughs> Look, I have been listening in the green room. This has been a fantastic conversation today. Bobby, it's good to see you. Steve, keep doing what you're doing. But remember, Jen, it's very important that the American people understand that you're entitled to a 21st century Bill of Rights. You should have a job that pays a living wage. We need to have a Green New Deal. I'm not doing that. I just don't. I, I, you could do it if you want, but I don't participate. That's okay. I really can, t- can I just ask you, are you now dismissing us? 
No, we're not dismissing no. her. I, I just I wanted to join the conversation. He tries to make name, it organic. No, my name was uh. mentioned, and of course, I wanted to come in here and just say hi to everybody because this is a great conversation. You and I love it when he does it. By the way, I want to commend you. That, so funny. I, I, I all the times that we've been together on on stage in this way, this is the best you've done. You're you really are good. Well, I've been practicing for a while, and uh, Lord knows I am from Brooklyn myself, so of course I should be able to get the accent down. Ah, you are but from Brooklyn. I didn't know I that. Was I was born in Brooklyn, but I'm from New Jersey, so of course... Uh, you Wait, know, a minute, have we talked about this? Uh, no, Probably. Not, not where, where are you from in New Jersey? Oh, I, I, th that guy, Peter? Oh, he's from Monmouth County, New Jersey. That's where he's from. Okay. That's the central that, part that's of the my, state. That's my home state. Well, New Jersey's a great place. So is Wisconsin. It's a clusterfuck. So what you guys had going on in your election is ridiculous. The way that you set up your ballots in New Jersey is makes, honestly, you make Florida look good. Oh. That is a very Wait a minute. There, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. <laughs> no state can make Florida look good. On their election? <laughs> you got to look at the ballot. At least in Florida, we no, put look, candidates. Look, look. I, I follow Florida order. closely. My buddies, you know, I, I think I told you I worked very closely with a progressive veterans group in Sarasota. And I, I watched Steels, okay? I can't do that. Look, oh, wait a minute. No, let's, let's, have a, let's have a, let's have a competition. Logistics. Texas, New Jersey, Florida, okay? I don't That's know. Do you know the way they do their ballot line, though, right? You want you know how they put yes, the candidates? too long. I only I got to, to vote. I only voted once in my life in New Jersey. I have to interrupt. I have to say that it has not only been a pleasure, but if there's one person that we need to get into the U.S. Senate, it is John Fetterman. I think he's going to make a tremendous impact. If we could bring him to the oh, Senate yeah. in Pennsylvania, I, yeah. that would really change things. I just like and him because he looks like he's a badass. He, he looks look like, like a lumberjack, badass, kind of pencil tucky kind of guy. And let's, and let's end on this note, because what I think is of such importance regarding Fetterman, because of the fact that not only did he win in such convincing fashion, but he won against one of the true neoliberal darlings of the Democratic establishment. Lamb. And he didn't just win. He kicked his ass. It's and so, so when that happened, it's almost like they you could tell the neoliberals on social media. They didn't even know what to say. I love and that. you can already see it, Steve. And you could already see it, Harvey. I already saw CNN do a part where they're trying to very slowly but surely try to convince people that. Maybe Dr. Oz would be better than John Fetterman. Oh my and you God, know that's coming. So oh don't worry. Wait, it's Steve, this is your you you voted in this. I did, absolutely. Okay, you're, are you? I mean, but you have open primaries there, or no? No, and, and uh, just just full disclosure. I mean, I did. Uh, you know, I don't normally say who I voted for, but I did vote for Fetterman in in this go around. But it, it was a complete shit show out here. You would not believe how bad the politics of Pennsylvania are. As bad as it is in, in Florida, the political ads that were running, it was naked. I mean, we're, we're talking about naked. We will make sure that those woke people aren't blah, blah, blah. And it was just it was it was the weirdest thing. I've like never heard people fighting about the actual, we're going to beat those people out there as opposed to I'm running against my opponent who says they were literally demonizing half the state. And I'm just like, Oh my God, I, I picked up the phone and I called one of my mentors and I called one of my leaders on my team. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. I've never heard this kind of naked, just outright hatred in a political and it's working. Uh, oh my God, like that for real, that was a game changer for me. And I don't normally care much for electoral politics, but that right there, that's like 
when you go out in the street looking, what, what shirt does he have? What ha- He's a liberal. He's a progressive. Kill him. You know, I mean, again, I, I just that was I literally got chills seeing how naked and un they no, freak flag flying high. They don't care. Yeah, those people are bad. We need to get rid of them, basically. So, oh, yeah. wow. No, we have, our primary is not until August. We have four candidates for the U.S. Senate. The man who's in the lead in the polls on the Democratic side is Mandela Barnes, who's currently the lieutenant governor. But it's telling that uh, Clyburn, one of his top, one of the first people to endorse him. And um, anyhow, he, he has barely laid out a progressive agenda. He's probably been advised by D.C. consultants not to do so. Uh, the number two candidate is Lassery, L-A-S-R-Y, who actually has laid out a fairly a fairly progressive platform online and has a significant amount of labor support. His, his father's the owner of the Milwaukee Bucks, and they were involved in building a new basketball arena. Um, third is Sarah Godlewski, who is a, you know, a Democrat who I think she's a Clintonite, I I would avoid her. I'll vote for any of them when push comes to shove against Johnson. But in the meantime, my candidate is running fourth, but he is the only one who really has laid out a serious progressive platform, has shown up at labor, you know, strikes and picket lines, and also has already, he's the only one of the four who has embraced the proposal for an economic bill of rights. Well, it goes without saying that. And his name is Tom Nelson, if anyone. Tom Nelson, yes, yes. Okay. And it goes without saying that we really need more of this bottom-up strategy and focusing on races that are not as expensive, but equally as important. Everyone gets way too caught up with what's going on at the federal level. The reality is we still have a lot of work to do, but the ignoring of the true infrastructure at the local level is really what's missing. And that's why candidates, as you've mentioned, are able to rise up. The biggest reason why Fetterman was able to win in Pennsylvania is because he's already the lieutenant governor and people know who he is. And that really played a huge role. But with that said, it's always a pleasure to speak with you guys. This is definitely something we'd like to do. And the fact that we brought you two gentlemen together definitely made it. That's very nice. I feel like we made a love connection. I feel really (laughs) good. We've done it before. We'll do it again. That's why it stays. It shows like this that makes me and and I think both of us appreciate that we do have a good podcast and that it really does help. We're small and mighty. We're small and mighty. So Steve, the floor is yours. What are you working on? Where can people find you? You go first. Well, I am, uh, you know, obviously the founder and CEO of Real Progressives and Real Progress in Action. Uh, You can find my Rogue Scholar. uh, uh, It's just a video show. I do it lunch breaks, Monday, Wednesday, Friday on Real Progress in Action. Um, I'm also uh, the host of the podcast Macro and Cheese, which is released every Saturday morning on all podcasting platforms. You can find it anywhere. And of course, uh, Tuesday nights, I co-host with Jordan Cheriton at Status Coup. And then on Thursday nights, I uh, do my own show over there called Let's Get Ready to Grumble. Uh, so I love that. <laughs> I love that. I love the little Steve head boxing gloves icon thing. I love the whole thing. And I like the way that, yeah, I like the let's get ready to grumble. It's a really good. Yeah. Always Very a pleasure, clever. sir. Harvey, the floor is yours. Where can you Okay. Well, first, I just want to say thank you for inviting me, even though I didn't know what I was walking I didn't know what I was going to be on the show. I thought it was a good conversation. <laughs> At least you got that. So exactly. I want to tell anyone who stuck around, if they didn't hear me at the outset, I do not normally wear monogrammed items. This was a gift and I wear it around the house. Okay. And out in the neighborhood, that's it. Okay. I'm on Twitter and Steve, just if, if you follow me, I'll definitely get back to you. 
Harvey, Got JK. It. I'll get back to you at the least with a direct message. H-A-R-V-E-Y, initial J-K-A-Y-E. What I'm working on right now is I actually took on an academic commission for something. I'm right, I'll be writing uh, a, for the Library of Congress a piece on, on FDR speeches. And then I'll be doing something for this big volume that volumes on American political thought on FDR. I haven't done that kind of thing in a while. I've been writing more public stuff. But the cause for me right now is the Economic Bill of Rights. And if you go online, anyone and type in Harvey K or Alan Minsky, Economic Bill of Rights, you'll see all this stuff. Go to the Gravel Institute on YouTube. You'll see the video. I promise it's not long. It's eight minutes and you will become a fan of FDR. Steve Grumbach. I just Harvey followed K. you on Twitter, by the way. Uh, I guarantee you go. you'll hear from me in a the moment. The love connection has been completed. <laughs> Gentlemen, it really is a pleasure. Thank you it's so much. Great for to the see you, too. And Jen, great to see you as well. I'm happy to talk to you about books and publishing anytime. Yeah, we're working on something. In fact, I just got texted from India Walton, and I'm going to have a conversation with her because I'm asking certain people to contribute to this book I'm working on. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Whether we're yeah. whether in Wisconsin or at some point, if we make it to Iowa, you know, over the next year, you know, hopefully we can get together at some point. And Steve, what can we say? It's always a pleasure. Thank you guys for what you do. And we'll definitely be talking to you again soon. Great to see you guys. Bye, guys. Nice to meet you. See you all. Thanks. Bye, brother. So that was obviously super entertaining. <laughs> that was good. Not and bad for a last minute. Not, not bad for a last minute show. And yeah. somewhat satisfying considering we were not getting to see Jesse later. So Jesse had a personal matter that came up. Um, so this was a punt, which we, was a good punt. Though. You know yeah, what, though? I came, I came through. It's always good. Yeah. yeah. No. Uh, I, well, honestly, it was going to be uh, it was going to be two. It was actually I wasn't sure. Uh, I was trying to get Jordan. But he had he had to take care of his dog, so that was important. And so, yeah, um, I think we, like I said, it's shows like today that when I really enjoy what we do, and I think it's yeah. a, it's a it's a fruitful conversation, and it really goes a long way towards what we're trying to accomplish here. Like so, I love it when I see something really cool and I text you and I say, you should get this person on the show. And then I see that they're coming on the show and it's very cool. Like, I feel like I get to just sort of, it, it, well, that's the best part. I do definitely like that about being able just to reach out to people and pick their brains and they're willing to just come on the show and talk. Whereas if I didn't have a show, I don't know how many people would want to just talk to me on the phone. Okay. So, Tank's uh, medal round is actually tomorrow. So I'm I, I messaged him just to see if I can get, you know, an idea of the time. If we have to adjust it, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out if we have to. But know, the, go OK, the games are in the morning, though. That's what I was telling you, which is why we're going and spending the night to be there for a Friday morning. Hmm. Well, I, I would definitely think that if uh, getting there early is necessary and then I can see. Uh, and the cookies won't be ready until Friday. Okay. So, but but what I want to do is then whatever is happening Friday, there's some sort of something happening in Soccer Friday. I want to meet up with him. It would probably be more better to even just hang out with them and sit with him versus watch him play. I mean, I know that that would be great, but I don't see. Like to have you. I don't know how to do that now. We, you know, like we couldn't get any information far enough in advance. Yeah, that's true. And so I have a place that's booked. So for for those of you on social media, know about Tank Shuttle. He's an amazing young man who is a special Olympics athlete. He'll be participating this weekend, uh, this week, excuse me, in Orlando, Florida, at the special Olympics. Uh, thank you, uh, governor DeSantis for not shutting it down. 
uh, we we will be there uh, to see him. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to meet up with some of our other friends that are there. Maxwell Frost is running for Congress. Uh, got his campaign office. We'll be able to stop by there. Austin Valley, who is running for water and soil conservation. Yeah, I believe so. He's like a, a great housing advocate, and of course, our champion Anna Escamani. Uh, and find out where her office is. Uh, so yeah, uh, be good to see some good people. Tremendous people in the Orlando area. I and wish there was a way to see it tomorrow morning, but it's like we would have to leave, we would have to switch our Airbnb from tomorrow to tonight. Which if, I don't know that I. No, we would just have to leave in the morning. It depends on what time these things start. Um, that's really what it's about. But you know, again, I'll, I'll okay. wait for him to text right. me. No, I mean, I guess he says yeah, the, the whole point of spending the like, night was to not have to go so early in the morning. Well, I understand. I understand. If he messages and says it's at like let's say ten a.m. and it's going to go to like 12, 1 o'clock, then. You know, we can we could probably do the early the early bird. So well, but also find out what they're doing on Friday and like and yeah, say so. that we want to like I'd be happy to go have lunch with them or you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I don't I mean, yeah. <clears throat> Nobody really wants me to get up and start driving at six o'clock in the morning. Nobody wants that. Nina Turner just put out a tweet, which I just think is emblematic of everything, which is politicians working for corporate interests will always have an excuse to not pass legislation. Always. It's really that simple, guys. If you support candidates that are supported by corporate special interests, for them, it's just about a career. It's not about actually helping anybody. And when we think about right now, you know, just something as simple as uh, we all know that it's almost assured that Governor DeSantis is going to win re-election. But what isn't being talked about right now, and I think we can fairly agree on this, that it's almost assured that Charlie Crist is going to be the nominee. And one of the reasons why it would make complete political sense for Nikki Freed to step away, endorse, and potentially run for another seat. She's got nine days that she can make this decision. It would give Charlie an extra two and a half months to campaign for the general. Now, why is that important, even if he can't beat DeSantis? There are a lot of down-ballot seats that can use as much attention as possible. And if you keep on putting money towards the primary, a primary that's basically been decided, then it's just wasting more resources. That is something when it comes to our involvement with the state party and just the Democrats in general, that never gets talked about enough. And I think if we're going to have an impact, what are we what, what are we doing? We are working on helping a slate of state representatives that we a friend of ours has put together basically a program that has is going to really change how we do grassroots campaigning in Florida. And we're going to be able to circumvent the NGP van and they can stuff it. But anyway, so we are supporting <clears throat> working with a slate of candidates that I think we have 10 um, that are running for un Seats that don't have anybody up challenging uh, as a Democrat. And in a couple of those seats, there two of them, I think, are running as independents. But it's a slate of candidates Which that are is, trying to take that are yeah. trying to seek a majority where it's sort of like infiltrating um, off the radar. We this gentleman did a lot of research. We know which districts are most possible to flip. And so we will be working with a slate of 10 candidates throughout the state of Florida, um, helping them with their campaigns and helping them, you know, get their feet going. And the last thing we'll say before we go, which I think is very important. Guys, for those of you who are done with the Democratic Party or the Republican Party and you don't want to support the two-party duopoly, do you understand how many one-party <clears throat> seats there are throughout the country? 
where it's basically that one party and no one runs against them. And if they do, it's basically, you know, it's a waste of time and money. You know, if you have, for example, the worst representative in Tallahassee, and there's a lot of them that are bad, uh, but yeah. I think it's fair to say that Randy Fine is right up there is maybe the worst. He's in a plus 30 R district. The fact that the person who's challenging him is doing it as a Democrat shows that strategy isn't the first thing on the mind of the people who are getting involved with these things. That should be an independent who's running in that district. And to be relieved of that two-party duopoly <clears throat> is such a good thing. You had enough independents in the state houses, they would get to pick and choose who they caucused with in terms of the policies that they want to fight for. That's a big deal. And that is one of the strategies that we need to be focusing on. For the, everyone who's like, oh, I want the People's Party or the, the Green Party or the Libertarian Party. How about you could run as an independent and people will support you simply because you are the other thing that's on the menu. We talk all the time how there's just one party. Yeah, it's the money party. It doesn't matter if it's red or blue. You're yeah. going to get the same result every time. Have you not seen how everything has been going lately? Well, that's like, and I saw um, Sean Hartman was on here. I don't know if he's still out there, but, um, you know, there are people that I, I agree. He was saying conservatives should be on corporate too. And I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. 100%. I agree. I, I, that's the thing. If you're representing your constituency and you're not taking corporate dollars, then you're doing your job. If your constituency is conservative, then I don't have a problem with you being conservative. It's, are you representing your people or are you representing corporate special interests? And so, so that could be across the social spectrum. I mean, that, you know, in terms of conservative versus liberal. And here's a great example. Sean. <clears throat> oh, there non- he is. Yeah. yeah he's- Sean is a non-corporate conservative who happens to support our governor. And that's OK, even if we don't. We're living in a world today where there's this idea that, yes. oh, you support Governor DeSantis. You're a bad person. And we had a uh, fellow f- friend of the Yang gang. Uh, State House Representative of South Carolina, Jermaine Johnson, on the podcast the other day. He's and great. he said, I I don't like a lot of these Republicans, uh, representatives, but I'm not going to bash a Republican voter because they chose to vote for Trump or whoever. It's like, what do you <clears throat> think you're going to accomplish by doing that? Voter shaming doesn't work. But also when people act like that, it really pushes, I think it causes people to be more anti-liberal. Yes, I agree with that 100%. And it just, it's not helping. It's just not helping our situation. We have um, a good guest coming up on Monday. A great guest coming up. I'm very excited about this. So on Monday, we're speaking with, um, and I pulled it up phonetically because- There's no way you would have been able to do it correctly. No, you're right. Uh, Phonetically, Euline Neo is her name. Oh, it's a very nice name. So Yulene Neo, as many of you may know, is running for U.S. Congress in the newly drawn District 10, where she represents as a state senator. She's currently there. And it, it's Chinatown is the it's mm-hmm. Chinatown, Lower East. And um, there was somewhere else that that wasn't Manhattan, maybe this particular district part is of Brooklyn. Her, her biggest Little opponent. Part of Brooklyn. It, it appears her biggest opponent in this district is going to be none other than Bill, Bill de Blasio. And so without question, we have, she has our support. We're very much looking forward to talking with her. And the last thing we will mention. She's Taiwanese. The fact that Mondaire Jones is running in this district just goes to show when you don't have political courage, you're eventually going to end up on the outside. He hasn't declared though yet. Officially I'm pretty sure he did though. I don't, I don't think so. He's All not right. listed as a candidate on the, on the, on the. Well, candidate. here's what ended up happening. Mondaire Jones refused to challenge 
Representative Maloney, who is the head of the DCCC. But instead, State Senator Alessandra Baeghi, who was initially going to run in District 3, where Melanie DeRigo was running for Congress, she decided, no, I'm going to challenge power and I'm going to go run against Maloney because it's the right thing to do. And you know what just happened today? She got endorsed by AOC. So she has courage and is willing to challenge corporate power, whereas Representative Jones wasn't willing to do that. And that's not good. And I feel bad for him because now he really is, he's in purgatory. He doesn't know what the hell to do. It's a, it's a, sometimes. If he had run, if he had run against Maloney, it's very likely AOC would have endorsed and so would have a lot of other people. Yeah. That's unfortunate. That's, is that a spineless thing? Is that a, like, what is that? It's a lack of balls. Lack of balls. That's unfortunate. And, and again, it's not meant to offend Mondaire if you hear this. No. It's meant to basically tell you that if you think playing nice with the establishment is ever getting you anywhere but the shaft, life lesson learned, man. Imagine having a con- congressional seat and actually, and maybe even being effective and thinking you're making change, but the fact that you're not a corporate whore, oh, they're always going to come for you, man. So right now that's what we have on Monday. Okay. I don't know if you, you know, if there's anybody else coming on. And then we have an interview with Zach Rahman on next Wednesday, Big which fan. is really cool. Um, he ran another, another member of the Yang gang. Yang gang. He ran Andrew Yang's presidential campaign and he has a book out, which I've put on audible. So I'm ready to, I'll be prepared. I will be prepared for the book. And I believe we have one other guest that evening as well. We do. Yeah. I don't know. No, I'm pretty sure. I don't uh, think on my calendar, you might've booked it, but it's not on the calendar. Oh, okay. No, I'm pretty sure I did. Who uh, was it? You know what? Um, Cause then you booked that woman that I wanted to talk to about rainwater collection. Yeah. That's on the 22nd. So yeah, we've got a lot of things coming up. We're still trying to figure out what we're going to do on Juneteenth, which is Monday, the 20th. Jen will officially be in Nash- in Asheville at that time. And so, it is Father's Day, just so you know. No, it's going to be on Monday. It's not going to be on Sunday. Okay. So we will uh, have it figured out. So we're uh, doing it on our Monday night. Yes. You're okay. You weren't okay. Yeah. So we hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, this was a great show. I mean, like I said, I have no problem doing this in the afternoon. Um, as I'm sure you don't either. Not uh, really. If it works out. No, it just know. was harsh with the whatever was going on outside the whole time. They yeah, were, like true. doing like landscaping and tree. Well, hopefully it didn't distract you guys too much. Appreciate you all. Hope you enjoyed. Uh, got a lot of good views today. Uh, a lot of great comments. Really Glad to guys. see you guys here. And remember, if you like what we do, if you appreciate yeah. our content, check that out is our Patreon, guys. More important than anything else. Check out For our those Patreon. Those of you who are constantly commenting on our show, who are <laughs> taking up rent space in our chat. If you feel compelled to pay a tax, pay a minimum of $5 a month. Seriously, scat scat. That's nothing. That's not even, what is that, 10 cents a day or something like that? Come on, come on. You know you want to. I mean, it's a good show. Well, but then said person would probably have to have their identity. Uh, I don't know. Would they have to do that? I, I don't know. Uh, maybe, huh? maybe they would. Maybe they wouldn't. I'm trying I don't to know. think. Yeah. Well, yeah, you kind of do. Well, I guess you could defer, not put any information. You could not put your, I guess you could. Well, patreon.com forward slash generational change. You can subscribe. You can become a patron for as little as $5 a month, but $10, $25, 
anything you could do to help support our mission, which is transforming politics into service. And I have been making a conscious effort to go on and put things on Patreon ahead of time before they're released on YouTube, like give people on Patreon exclusive peeks at things. Um, so I've been working on better um, posting things from time to time. And I would like to go back to having the Zoom members meeting. We did try that for a while and um, nobody would come. So, but I guess, you know, we could do that again and see if maybe a new yeah. batch of people want to do like questions and answers. And then I always feel like, and if we have like a really cool guest for a members only meeting, I kind of feel bad that we're not streaming it. For example, your support is going to help us next week because we have two events for two local non-corporate candidates, both who are running for school board and we're going to attend. And if we end up making a contribution, it will be because of your support of the show. Which are you so. talking, okay, first of all, our show has already donated to both of these school board members. Okay, we have right, made, so we don't have to. No, we do not, because we've already made generous donations to both of these school board members, <laughs> and they're both very exceptional. Yes, they are. And so with that said, uh, once again, patreon.com forward slash generational change. We really appreciate you guys sticking around today. It was- Thank you, Sean. And yeah. you know what? Scott, I really just hate when people focus on the physical. You know what I mean? If you want to criticize people based on policy or, you know, character or whatever, I feel that's good. But when you nitpick, especially, I don't know, it's really misogynistic. And it's not like, and I'm not particularly overwoke about this, but I just, you know what? Seriously, don't be like a mean girl. Yeah, don't be a mean girl. Be a good boy. Uh, I mean, it's like, don't pick on people's looks. It's just not cool. With that said, we appreciate you. We literally did it in an hour and a half. That is exact. That's the length that every show should be. It should be right in that range. So thank you guys. Don't pay any attention to the crap. We'll see you next Monday. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.